Thank you so much for being here. This is just a, a unique time in the Word of God. I, uh, I must admit to you, um, I've had a very melancholy week. Because of, of what I'm studying, really, I got a chance to, um, to listen to some songs. One of the, Diane actually sent it, gave it to me. Um, I've been listening to it, and, and she asked me the first time, what was my favorite? And I said, the old rugged cross. Well, it's not anymore. It is the, the cut on number 18. I, I, what's the guy's name? Uh, I wrote down the words. Listen. It says, sometimes alone I cry. It says, sometimes I hurt, and sometimes I cry. Sometimes I can't get it right, no matter how hard I seem to try. Sometimes I fall down and stumble when I try to look strong as the whole world looks on. But sometimes alone I cry. I get that. I listen to that song and tears will flow down my cheeks and I, uh, I'm, I'm, I ask the Lord, Lord, what is it with our faith? What is it that, that the church is becoming, dear Father, in this age in which we live? I don't go to many other churches. I get um, any offer and every offer I get to speak, which is fewer and fewer anymore because 100% of the time I... No, that's not true. 99% of the time I turn it down. There's only one church that when I get called, I will go every time, and that's when Hutch calls me because he has never, uh, he has never failed to come whenever I ask him. He's um, just a faithful friend. In fact, he called me the other day, and I thought, oh, he's going to ask me to come on up and speak to the men's group again. And uh, he didn't. He just called me to say, hey, I've been thinking about you. I want to tell you I love you. <laughs> I said, man, I need that. I love you too. And when I, uh, I ask him about other churches, because he'll go everywhere and anywhere to speak. I mean, I don't know how he does it, but he'll speak everywhere. And uh, I like to save my energy for us. I, I like to just be here. I love you folks more than I could ever put into words. Have I ever told you I love you? Yeah, yeah I told you. I just love you more than I can put into words. And um, as much as I love you, I love the Lord even more. And I'm worried about, about this society in which we live today for whatever reason. And I asked Hutch, I said, do you find that the churches are, uh, are getting stronger and stronger? He says, oh, on the contrary. It's getting, um, it's getting tough out there. And I wrote down these words because of what we are going to study today I think is so important for us as a church to comprehend what the Lord is saying. Let me just, let me just share with you. We are in the book of Revelation. We are in the 17th chapter. We just finished, of course, the 16th chapter. We just finished the wrath of God being poured out. And he said at the end of the seventh bold judgment that fell on the earth, it is done. It's over with. It is over. The judgment of God is done. The world is judged. Now they are just going to go and to be judged by God. But for whatever reason, and God, I think, I, I believe I'm going to pinpoint it today. I think I'm going to pinpoint today why our Lord allows this pause to take place in chapters 17 and 18 so that you and I can reflect upon what's happening in the world during this tribulation period time, but also so it can prepare our hearts for where we live now. 
And, and with that in mind, as I was studying through this particular place in Scripture in the 17th chapter, I, I wrote down these words. It's not new. It's, it's, it's something I've heard somewhere before, but it was nowhere I found in any of the commentaries I read. I just I wrote down, is the world becoming like the church? Or is the church becoming like the world? You see, the Lord told you and me that we are to become a representation. He calls us ambassadors. And we are to be His ambassadors in this world in which we live so that the people see us, they see a reflection of Him, and they become attracted to Him through our lives. Is the world becoming like the church, or is the church becoming like the world? We are supposed to take Christianity and the love of Jesus Christ into the world, but sadly I, I am hearing from my, many of my friends who, who mo, more get out and see the other churches and what's happening. The church and the world and its ways and its habits have moved into, sadly, many churches. I had lunch this, after, this past week with a with a man here at this church that I've, he comes on Saturday night, and I wanted to get to know him, I, I, so we went to lunch, and he told me about, let me not get too specific, because I do not want to speak badly of any church. I don't. But um, he said that his kids went on a mission trip at this church, and and I said, oh, that's great. I said, because we just had a mission trip. He says, no, no, wait. It's not so great. He said, out of the 18 people that went, 15, not his son nor his son's fiance or wife, I wasn't sure what the, whether that is. I have to confirm that with him next time I take him to lunch. And, and then one other person, three out of the 18, were watching. The 15 of them said, well, I can't wait to where we get. And they were in Africa. They can't wait to get there to party and have some drinking and just enjoy themselves while they're away and have some missionary work. And he said his son came home and was devastated. He said his son and he sat under our, our teaching when I was over at Yorba Linda Friends and they, they, never, they never heard Christ presented like that. Are we becoming... Are we making the world become like us or are we becoming like the world? What's happening to us in our faith? And so sometimes I hurt and sometimes I cry. And even though sometimes I can't get it right, no matter how hard I try, I, wonder, I understand just as you do. We're not perfect. None of us are. Sometimes I fall down and sometimes I stumble and when I try to look strong with the whole world looking on, sometimes alone I cry. I cry for us as a church. I cry for the church as a whole. And I believe this is what our Lord is trying to teach us in these chapters. He's trying to get you and me to see the, the devastation of what Satan will do when he gets his foothold into a church and tries to manipulate the church into becoming like the world. That's one thing you can be rest assured that we will not become like. 
Some are not happy with that and some leave. I'd rather they didn't. But we're not going to compromise what is right before God for anything or anyone. Just what we can't do. I haven't been called to do that. And so as we study through this great, great, great book, I want you to see really what, what is the Lord saying to us? Why this pause here in the book of Revelation in the 17th chapter, when in fact, if you recall, in the 16th chapter, when they... When the seventh angel, in, in verse 17 of chapter 16, when the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne of God, saying, it is done. What's done? Well, we'll see shortly when we get to the 19th chapter. But in the meantime, we're going to see what causes all of this pain and sorrow. Last week we saw that Babylon, as explained in the 17th chapter, represents false religion. The false religious system within the world in which we now live. It's a system that, that attempts to steal away any and all glory from, from God the Father and God the Son and attempts to move it towards Satan. Right now Satan doesn't care. Whomever it goes to, as long as it's away from God the Father and God the Son, he doesn't care. As we're going to see through this chapter, eventually it's all going to come to him, and that's what he wants. And so we saw this past week in verse 5 of this chapter, 17, that Babylon is explained as the mother of harlots and the abomination of the earth. If you were here, perhaps you remember, we, we saw in chapter 4 of the book of Genesis, Cain. Cain came to God his way, Cain's way. Cain came with the best he had. Listen, what Cain offered was not bad, in my opinion. It was the best of what he had. He came with the fruit of the ground. God allowed Cain to be the family's tiller of the ground. In other words, he took care of their substance. He took care of what they ate. And so it appears to me he was jealous of, of his brother Abel bringing the, the firstling of his flocks because God had asked the family, if you're going to come to me and offer anything to me, it must be by the blood of an animal. And so when Cain, if we remember studying last week, when he brought the firstling of, his, of, his, of, of, the, of the ground that he tilled, the, the fruit of the ground, when he brought it to God and said, here, this is my best, it says God had no regard for what he brought him. In other words, God didn't want it. It wasn't, it wasn't of any value to God. Cain became angry, remember? And, and God said to him, Cain, why is your countenance fallen? If you do what is right, will not your countenance be lifted up? In other words, if you do what I've asked you to do. Well, Cain ended up killing his brother because of his jealousy. That is the spirit of an abomination upon this earth. That is the mother of all harlots, false religion, coming to God our way instead of his. You and I have no, we have no choice in the matter how we're to worship God. Oh, I take that back. We can choose any way we want. But if we want to be accepted by God, we must come his way. 
The second system we saw was in Genesis chapter 11 when the, they built the Tower of Babel, right? And what they wanted to do was, was devious. They wanted to build it, they said, so it reached into the heavens itself so that they could make themselves like God. No way. It is that spirit, that's, that mother of harlots, false religion, that abomination to this earth where mankind decides we'll come to God our way, not as he commanded us, but we'll give him our best. We'll, we'll do the best we can. And this, it says, God will not allow. He has no regard for that. Bottom line of what we're learning here in chapter 17 is that we must come to God his way. And that is only through His Son, only through faith in His Son, and the blood that His Son shed for the forgiveness of a sin, His death and His resurrection. And what we will see today is that Satan tries to imitate that so as to entice people to follow Him instead of the Messiah. And he's very successful, as he is today in this world in which we live. There is for God no other way for the forgiveness of your and my sin. There's no other way that we can appease God. There's no other way that we can make ourselves right before God. Any other way is an abomination. It's the spirit of Babylon. It's the mother of all harlots. Remember harlotry we, we taught last week. In fact, Paul said it best. It stands for spiritual immorality, not sexual sin. No. Paul said in one of my favorite places in all of Scripture, I wrote it up there, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. Remember what he said? He said, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy because he says, I've betrothed you to one husband so that to Jesus Christ I might present you, Paul says, as a pure virgin. In other words, no other loves, just Jesus. I tell you folks, I love you with all my heart. And I do. I do. Sometimes alone I cry for you and for whatever it is that's going through your life. But in comparison to the love I have for my wife, you're second place way, way far. And the comparison that my wife has in the love I have for Jesus, she's second place way, way far. Our love for Jesus Christ ought to be all that we can give him. We ought to come to him as a pure virgin as far as our love is concerned. So Paul says, I... I betrothed you to Jesus Christ so that I might present you to him as a pure virgin. But he says, but he says in verse 3, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds might be led astray from the simple and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. That's what we teach here. That's it. That's the essence of, of what we teach at this church. The pure devotion and simple devotion to Jesus Christ. And He alone. 
Paul goes on to say in the fourth verse of 2 Corinthians 11, if, if someone comes to you and preaches another Jesus, whom I have not preached, or, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received. Well, let me tell you what Paul says in the book of Galatians concerning that. For some it might be too strong. For me it's, I love it. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, from anyone that tries to take you and me away from our pure and simple devotion to Jesus Christ, he says, I am amazed. This is in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I'm amazed, he says, that you are so quickly deserting him, him, God, who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. I'm amazed. Which is really not another, he says. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he makes this statement in verses 8 and 9. He says, if I were to come to you, Paul, he says, if we, any of the apostles, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel that is contrary to what we have preached to you, we're to be accursed. Let me tell you what that word means in a moment. But he repeats himself. He goes on to say in verse 9, as I have said before, let me tell you again, he says, if any man preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he too is to be accursed. That word accursed means damned, cast into hell. Strong words. Strong words, but Paul and, and our Lord and anybody that's worth his weight in salt that tries to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ are fighting for your soul. And when it comes to that fight, strong words and strong actions sometimes are necessary. So we come to the place in Revelation chapter 17 where John wondered, wondered what he was seeing. And God is going to explain to John, really he's going to explain to you and me what is taking place so that we understand why we live as we ought to live for the sake of Christ in this day in which we now live. Watch. Verse 7. After John says, I wondered greatly, an angel, verse 7, said to me, Why do you wonder? I shall tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth will wonder whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of, one of, the, earth, of the world they will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And they are seven kings. Five have fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. And the beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth, and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings, ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they received authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose. They give their power and their authority to the beasts. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them because He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. And 
Those who are with him are the called, the chosen, the faithful. He said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are people, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw and the beast, these will hate the harlot. They will make her desolate, naked. They will eat her flesh. They will burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose. And by giving their kingdom to the beast until the word of God should be fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now it might not make sense to you right now, but when you walk out of here, I think you're going to have a good idea of what our Lord was saying. And it is magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. Father, would you please guide us? Take me out of this picture completely. Father, move me away from the very essence of what this message means. Help me, Father, to move so that you might be seen in all of your glory, in all of your power, in all of everything that you are, so that we might see you for, for exactly who you are within our lives, within the life of this church, within the life of this world in which we live. May we catch a glimpse of all the wonders of who you are so that we might walk away from here so much more in love with you than ever before. So that we might know that we have been betrothed to you and you alone and we might present ourselves so in love with you that we are like a pure virgin. Let us not be deceived. Let us not fall away from the simple and pure devotion to your Son, Jesus Christ, and he alone. O Father, Open up our eyes, our hearts, and our minds so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Oh, Father, please bless us. Bless us by allowing us to understand what you want to say to each and every single one of us. I pray these things in the most powerful name that we know of. That is the name of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, How's that for an introduction? When, when, when the angel comes to John in verse 7 and answers, what are you wondering about concerning the woman and the beast who has been carrying her? The one with seven heads and ten horns. So the angel gives an extension explanation of who is the beast in verses 8 through 17. He only uses one verse to explain the woman. The woman is false religion. He's already talked about her in the first six verses of this particular chapter. Of the beast, the angel says, he's the one you saw. He was, he is not, and he's about to come up out of the abyss. In other words, he was alive, he was dead, and he's now coming back alive. If you recall, back in chapter 13... This beast was slain, or appeared to be slain, and then was healed. It was an imitation of Christ, his death and, and burial and resurrection. In chapter 13, verse 3, it says, John says, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed, John wrote, and followed after the beast. Yet they wouldn't follow Jesus Christ. Go figure. But it's common. You and I are unique 
in the sense that we love and understand and want to know more about our Lord. That's, that's unique. God bless you. The angel also states in verse 8 that the beast shall go to destruction, that is, the lake of fire, to hell. And we also note in verse 8 there are those who, whose names are not found written in the book of life. And it, it is those who dwell on the earth. And now we've seen this phrase over and over and over again since, since chapter 6. Those who dwell on the earth were the unbelievers who martyred those who, who trusted in Christ, who came during the Great Tribulation or during the Tribulation to believe in Jesus Christ. They were martyred. Many of them were beheaded. And they... These people who were beheaded now stand whole in the, in the presence of God. And they asked him in chapter 10, How long, dear Lord, will you, will you wait to avenge our blood upon those who dwell upon the earth? In other words, the unbelievers who martyred us. And he says, in time, in time. Well, that time is over with. They have now been done with. It is, it is over with. But we are still looking and seeing what is taking place. The ones who wonder are deceived by this fake death and resurrection. They are unbelievers. There are those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. As Jesus said in Matthew 24, 24, he promises, he, he warns false Christs, he says, those who pretend to be a Messiah and false prophets, that means false teachers of the, of the, of the Word of God, will arise. And he says they're going to show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible. Thank God for those two words. If possible, they'll mislead even the elect. You see, Christians, for those of us who believe, we shall not be deceived. We shall not be misled. It is not possible because God will not allow it. He will protect and care for you and me. That's his job, not yours. It's his job to care for us. But those who dwell on the earth, the unbelievers, they're going to be deceived by his deception. Verses 9, 10, and 11, the angel explains the seven heads upon this beast. These seven heads, he says, are seven mountains which, which, of which the woman sits. Now, you need to know there are many interpretations of what is this? What means the seven mountains? What is this? Some say the seven mountains are Rome. Rome is known as the city of seven hills or mountains. But to limit the scope of this vision to Rome or the Roman Empire is, is, would be wrong, I believe. Not correct at all. To say that these seven mountains are the Roman kings who have risen to power and then fallen also limits the vision. No, as God will always do, He explains what He says if you just Read further, far enough. In this case, it's, it's very close. It's in verse 10. It says, these are the seven kings. Five of them have fallen. One is, and the other one has not yet come. When he'll come, he'll just remain a little while. The seven mountains, or kings, talks of seven empires, seven nations that held power at one time or another. In verse 10, the five that have fallen are most likely the five that are mentioned in the book of Daniel talking about these times. It is Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. 
they have fallen. They are the... They are the nations that were in power at one time before John wrote this book. The one that is, in verse 10, of course, is the one that is in power while John wrote this book, the book of Revelation, and that is the Roman Empire. There has not been a true world empire since Rome. Now the other one, in verse 10, the one is, that is not yet to come, and when he comes, it will be just a short time, most people believe this to be the ten-nation confederacy that will form itself in Europe. Most likely, they will have their head in Rome somewhere. We don't know. But whomever, whomever it shall be, it, it tells us that their, their time of power will only last for a little while, meaning brevity. It, it won't be long. They will not be in power for a long time. Now, many believe that, that this is speaking of Rome and the Roman Catholic Church that will play a large part in this false religion and false prophets. Whether that's true or not, I will not speculate, nor do I want to speak badly about any church, really. But you need to be aware of the Roman Catholic theology. Their false doctrine... The one that hits closest to the spirit of Babylon, this, this abomination to the earth, is, is that they are attempting as a church to name the Virgin Mary as co-redemptive with Jesus Christ. In other words, that she, the Virgin Mary, would have a part in our salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. That is so far from true. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. But I don't know if it's going to be the Roman Catholic Church. Who knows? Only God knows. What we see is that the beast, the Antichrist, in some mysterious way becomes one of the seven heads that in here is called the eighth head. But he'll go to destruction. In other words, be cast into hell. This, of course, will be revealed when we get to the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation. When, when, when John says he saw an angel coming down from heaven holding a key to the abyss, in other words, to this place of hell, with a great chain in his hand. It says in verse 2 of chapter 20, He laid hell, hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, the, the devil, Satan, and he bound him for 1,000 years. That's, that's during the millennium. When, when Christ will reign on this earth, we will study that when we get to the 20th chapter. And he threw him, Satan, into the abyss. He shut the abyss. He sealed the abyss over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand year reign was completed. After that, he will be released for a short time and you will be amazed. If you've never studied the end times, you will be amazed that even after a thousand years of Christ reigning on this earth with people all the time, that when Satan is released, some of them, if not most, will still desert our Lord and follow after Satan. I mean, it is like bizarre. In verses 12 and 13, we see an explanation of the ten horns. Remember now, horns were a sign of authority. And so in verse 12, it states that their authority shall be for an hour. Again, it means a short period of time. The ten horns are ten kings, leaders of nations, that have not yet come into power, 
but will have power, it says, for only a short period of time, for an hour. Why did they come into power? Well, we are told in verse 13, they have but one purpose. They come into power for one purpose, and that is to give their power and their authority over to the beast. And that's been his plan from the beginning. That's why he doesn't care now to whom people believe in, as long as it's not Jesus Christ. He doesn't care where your religious beliefs will take you. He will one day bring it all to himself. And so in verse 14, they, the ones who give him the power, along with the beast, if you can believe this, will wage war against the Lamb of God, against Jesus Christ. But as it says in verse 14, at the beginning, the Lamb, Jesus Christ, will overcome them because he's Lord of lords and King of kings. But look, verse 14 is the reason I believe this whole chapter has been written. Verse 14 should give every one of us a thrill. Uh, it should give every one of us a, a, an assurance of our destiny. We are on the victorious side. As the rest of verse 14 states, he is not alone. Look, these will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are, called, are the called, the chosen, and the faithful. Within Scripture... Believers in Jesus Christ are called by these three names, the called, the chosen, and the faithful. In Romans chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, listen. It says, Among whom you also are the called of Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. Saints means set apart for God's use. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Two words, grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. We live in the age of grace, the church age. We are now living in this grace period, this time of unmerited favor. God has given you and me His unmerited favor. We don't deserve the wonders that our Lord gives us. We have His grace living within us. And also we have His peace. And it's peace not like the world can give to you and me. He's talking about a peace with us and God. You, if you know the Lord as your Savior, you have a peace with God that, 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 that goes beyond anything and everything that you can understand or know. Peace, peace is... The world can, can offer you only this type of peace. Peace with God the Father and with God the Son. We are not only the called, but we are also the chosen. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 tells us that we are chosen, that He has chosen you and me. He chose us before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. And in love, He predestined you and me to become adopted as children through Jesus Christ to Himself. How and why? According to the kind intention of His will. It was His will that you and I become a part of His family. We are chosen of God. We are called of God. And also we are faithful. Colossians chapter 1 verse 2 says, To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, grace to you and peace from God 
our Father. Again, we see God's grace, unmerited favor, and God's peace. Peace that only you can have between you and God. Not peace in this world. That's never going to happen. Peace between you and God, and God and you. So we see in verse 14 that we'll return with Jesus Christ in His triumphant victory. What a glorious day that is going to be for you and me. We the called, we the chosen, we the faithful. Verse 15 was explained last week. The great harlot sitting on many waters, and the waters are all the people of the earth. Everyone at this time that dwells upon the earth is going to follow and worship the beast because of this harlot, this false religious belief, this false prophet who has deceived everybody. Yet eventually, as verse 16 explains, these ten kings who have an authority for a short period of time, as verse 10 and verse 12 tell us, will join with the beast, the Antichrist, and will turn against the harlot and destroy her. Why? It's because that is what Satan wanted all along. He wanted to destroy all and every kind of religious belief and have everyone believe in him. That's what he wanted. Right now he doesn't care where people scurry off and, and, and run to find their faith, whatever it is, whether it's faith in themselves or faith in some spiritual whatever. He doesn't care. One day he will make them all come and worship him. Verse 16 is a vivid description of the utter destruction of false religious beliefs. Religion becomes, it says in verse 16, hated. Religion becomes desolate. It becomes naked, eaten, burned with fire. The idea being it is completely and utterly destroyed. She is shown as naked, meaning she will be revealed. False religion will be revealed for who and what it truly is. Nothing but hypocrisy. Empty promises. No substance to it whatsoever. Listen. All false religious beliefs that are founded on anything except the, <clears throat> except the Word of God and upon God's Son, Jesus Christ, shall one day crumble. Shall one day be exposed for what they are. Man-made, not God-blessed, and without any substance whatsoever. Isaiah reminds us that the grass will wither and the flowers will fade away, Isaiah says, but the word of our God stands for how long? Forever. Forever. This is what you and I have got to trust our lives upon, our faith upon. That's what we teach here at this church. Not about us. It's about Jesus Christ. Careful what you might be building your life upon. You know, I, I hardly ever mention, except I tell you some stories about baseball, but I hardly ever mention what I really love, and that is football. I love professional football. I do. I can't wait for this afternoon. I, I'm, I'm really excited about the game, but I saw something on television yesterday and, and a, that just is beyond my belief. I, I've fallen in love with, I've got a man crush on a guy named Tim Tebow. I do. I do. I flat do. And the reason being is that they did an interview with him and he, and he, and he explained why he prays and, and he explained it so beautifully. It wasn't for wins. It wasn't for victory. It was that, so that he might represent the Lord whether he wins or loses. 
And then he talked about, he talked about young people that he invites to the game who are, um, are dying of some sort of ailment. And, and it, bring, <clears throat> it brings it all into perspective for him. And I've found myself thinking, that's Christianity. That's what our faith is about. It can be done in the most violent of sports like football, and yet it can be as humble as a man praying after the game, whether they win or lose. It's what your life and my life ought to be about. It's what are we building our lives upon. Everything else will eventually, as it says in verse 16, be hated, made desolate, exposed, eaten up, and burned up. And what causes this to occur? I'll tell you what causes this to occur. The very same person who is protecting you and me now. Look at verse 17. God, God had put it in their hearts to execute His purpose by giving them a common purpose and giving their kingdom to the beast until the word of God shall be fulfilled. The word of God should be fulfilled Folks, I'm here to tell you, just as Jesus Christ said on this most wonderful sermon that was ever given, the Sermon on the Mount, He said, truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter nor stroke shall pass away from the law until it is all accomplished. You and I do not have a second more to live nor a second less to live than what God has ordained for you and me. And what he wants you and me to do while, this, while we are on this earth, while we are living this time, is to, to represent him, to be his ambassador, so that people might see the wonders of Jesus Christ through our lives. I know that's a tall task. I'm not saying that you and I are ever going to be so perfect that we're going to accomplish it as, as perfectly as we ought, but we ought to try. And the more I see of that man, that young man, how he represents the Lord, this Tim Tebow fellow. The more I see it's possible. So John writes in verse 18, this religious system, this woman, this harlot that falls, this great city which reigns over kings and earth, most believe that this city is Rome and and, and most commentators, I must confess to you, think it's the Roman Catholic Church. I don't know. I can't say for certain, and I don't want to say for certain, because I don't want to disparage anything or anyone. But this is what I do believe. I believe that the false religious system shall be all anti-Christian religions and cults who are bent on taking away anybody's faith in Jesus Christ and, his, and your faith in Him and Him alone and just Him. Nothing of this church can ga gain you salvation. Nothing of this church can forgive you of your sins. It is all Jesus Christ. All this church does is preach Jesus. Tell you about Jesus so that you will fall in love with Jesus. And I am jealous. Because I want to betroth you to one husband. Jesus Christ. And that I might, by the grace of God, see you and me presented to him as pure virgins. 
not defiled by this world, not, not being deceived and not taken away from our pure and simple devotion to Him. I believe anyone that takes away from Jesus Christ, even in the littlest amount, in His deity, is what is the true spirit of Babylon. It is the mother of all harlots. It is the abomination of this earth. And so churches ought to be very careful of the traditions that they build in place upon the people who attend. You've got to do this, or you've got to do that, or you can't do this, or you can't do that, or you can't go to heaven. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches you trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you are born again. You are a believer in Jesus Christ. Which led me to write, Is the world becoming like us, the church? Or are churches becoming like the world? Sometimes when I'm alone, I cry. Because of these 18 years I've been in ministry, I guess it's 18 years, maybe it's a little more now, I forget. doesn't matter, does it? I've seen some fall away. And it breaks my heart. Father, may we never fall away from our love for you. May we hold fast to this wonderful, wonderful truth that we have. And may we understand fully our purpose in life, why we are alive. You've given us life now so as to represent you, so as to take away those who are an abomination on this earth, mother of all harlots, who are trying to teach false doctrine. No, Father, may we hold fast and true to the very word of God that you have given to us. Let us study it, know it, and that alone. Let us fall in love, as Paul says, as pure virgins to the simple and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. Everything else you tell us, Father, will pass away. Now bless us as we go from here. Wherever you might take us, bless us, please. And Lord, um, I pray you'll just uh, assure each of us of our faith in you. and Help us to be the people that you've called us to be. Wherever you might take us, whatever our profession might be, young, old, doesn't matter. May we represent you the best we can in the time that you give us. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. I love you all more than life itself. Have a wonderful day and I'll see you next week. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.